Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. But I'm going to jump into 1 John. And 1 John chapter 1, we're going to start at verse 3 for some context. This is what we taught on last week as they're working out my, my, my mic here. Uh, 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 3 says, We proclaim to you, you might notice the background's a little different. I'll tell you why here in a second. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy, and of course, half the manuscripts say our joy, half the manuscripts say your joy, and uh, so we're just, we're, we're just going to settle on both. We write this to make our joy and your joy complete. <laughs> and so over the next few weeks, I want to focus on, we've been focusing on the love from 1 John, and uh, we, we're, we're that, that's not going away. That's still the main theme of 1 John. But over the next few weeks, I want to focus on this phrase right here. We write this so that um, our joy and your joy may be complete. And so I'm going to title the next couple of weeks, uh, The Christian's The Secret Path um, to Joy. And uh, this is the secret path to joy. The, the path to joy is not always obvious. It's not always clear. It's not always uh, logical from our point of view. But Scripture is giving us the secret path to joy. And how many of you would you like, how many, how many want some joy? Would you like some joy? You down with that? Okay, cool. Wonderful. If, uh, if you'd like some condemnation, that's in our earlier service. So just come on. By. <laughs> come on. 7.30, it starts at 7.30. Um, if, if, if the doors are locked, it's okay. Just hang out outside. It's all good. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, no, we, we believe that God has joy for us, that he wants us to live in a fullness of joy. The Christian life is not a, a life full of uh, not doing anything fun and giving up all the good stuff and just, you know, just doing all the hard stuff and making all these difficult decisions. It's not crying all the time. It's not, you know, it's not mournful. It's not repenting 24-7. It's not beating yourself up. It's not feeling bad all the time. Like, that's not... That's not a biblical Christian life. That may have been your experience. It may have been your experience growing up. But God has so much more for you than, than simply uh, repentance, than simply feeling bad. Uh, there is a pathway to joy that God has for us. And we're going to be looking that, at that here in the, the, the next coming weeks here in 1 John. And that's what he says, is we write these things in order to make your joy complete. So if we could go back to that verse, um, I started on this verse last week. He says, um, we're proclaiming what we have heard and what we've seen. We're proclaiming it to you so that you may have fellowship with us. Fellowship is not uh, hanging out together, right? Fellowship is not a fellowship hall. Uh, it's not as many Christians say we're fellowshipping, right? Like that just means they're eating. So, um, you know, Christians do that a lot, but uh, that, that doesn't just mean that's, that's not what fel fellowship is a deeper meaning. It is intimacy, it is connection, it is alignment, it is agreement, it is companionship, it is little baby Zion here making his first trip to City Chapel, laying on his dad. He's fellowshipping right now with his dad, laying on his dad's shoulder. Like, that's 
Fellowship is connection. It is oneness. It is, it is, it is common unity or communion. Right, that's what fellowship is. And so God wants for you not just to join a church, get a card, and say, I go to such and such church. God wants you to fellowship with others. So we jumped into that last week. If you'd like to hear more of that, that's on the podcast. But today I want to look at the second part of that verse. He says, he says we're writing this so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship, he says, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So there is a horizontal fellowship that's happening horizontal, and there is a vertical fellowship that's happening. When you get the horizontal and the vertical together, it forms a wonderful thing. And so God's plan is that, yes, you would fellowship with others, but also primarily, he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he split those, those two up because they're not necessarily separate, but they are distinct. And so he's, he's noting the distinction within them. We'll get into that here in a couple of weeks. But he says, look, our fellowship is with God. We want you to have fellowship with us. Now, right off the bat, you have to recognize that John is saying something that honestly uh, no other pastor ought to say. Uh, if you come across, the, if, you, if you visit a church and they say, look, uh, you need to have fellowship with us because we have fellowship with God, and if you don't have fellowship with us, then you don't have fellowship with God. That's not a good church. You need to, you need to leave that church. Don't go to that church. But technically, that's what, that's what John is saying. John is saying, look, we have fellowship with God. And if you have fellowship with us, you can also have fellowship with God. Now, he's saying, he can say that, though, because he's an apostle. He's the last living apostle, and he's writing inspired scripture. So when he says, we want you to have fellowship with us, he's not meaning like hanging out. John will probably never meet these individuals in person. But rather he is saying, we want you to have fellowship really with what we are writing. So John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. He's an inspired writer, an inspired scripture. And so really what he's saying is, he's not saying that if you fall out of fellowship with any individual, or any church, or any denomination, then you don't have fellowship with God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that if you fall out of fellowship with the Word of God, then it doesn't matter what denomination you call yourself, or what sign you have out on the road, or how, or how cool your pastor is. If, you, if your pastor is not fellowshipping with the Word of God, and if you are not fellowship with the word, you cannot have fellowship with God. So when, so when John puts himself in that position, he's not putting himself as a human. He's putting himself as the word of God. So you must. So my first point today, the secret path to joy. And I, I, I don't have these points. You just have to write them down and remember them. But the, the, the first, my, my, my first point in the secret path of joy is that we have to agree with his word. We have to come into agreement. That's the secret path to joy. Now you say, well, I don't understand all of his word. Well, that's okay. Nobody, I don't know anybody that does. Uh, my policy is if you don't understand it, just keep reading. Because I guess it's not for you right now. Maybe it'll be for you later. But God does have something for you that you will understand. And we must come into agreement with his word. We must come into full agreement. Here at City Chapel, we fully believe in the authority and the authenticity of the word of God. So a few years ago, I preached a, a message um, on the Bible specifically, on how it was written, how it was compiled, the different manuscripts, um, all that kind of thing. And um, I thought it was a pretty good message, personally. Uh, I, I called it Treasured, Trusted, and Tried. 
So it, 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 the, the Bible should be treasured. Um, it can be trusted, but it must be tried. You must apply it to your life. So I've asked Sandy Myers, actually, if you're watching on Facebook, I've, I've asked Sandy to post a link to that um, just while I'm preaching. And for those of you that are here in the room, you can go back to the, to the news feed on Facebook and see that link to the podcast from, from, from I, like three, four years ago. It was a while. And maybe even during this week, you might need a refresher course on what the Word of God is and why we value it so much, why we reverence it so much, why we believe it is absolute truth, absolute truth, that, that honestly, everybody else can be a liar, but the Word of God, we are going to stand by the Word of God. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter how culture changes or adjusts its, its temperature or its tone. Our temperature and tone is reflecting off of the Word of God. So we're coming into agreement, and I would encourage you to come into agreement with the Word of God, because anytime you start to disagree with the Word of God, that's where you will lose your joy. That's where you will lose your peace. At the point of disagreement, at the point when you, when you heard his word or you heard a teaching on his word that was biblical teaching and you said, well, that may be good for them, but that's not true for me. At the point that you rejected or came into misalignment or disagreement with his word, that's when you lose fellowship with God. So it's really important. God actually equates his word to himself. He calls himself the word. And so it's super important. He's not just the rhema, right? He's not just the spoken word. He's not just the one that we meditate and listen and hear something in our spirit. He is that. But more important, he is the logos. He is the written word. And, and, and any time uh, you have somebody who stands up and says, God told me something like Rhema, he spoke something to me in my head, but it doesn't line up with what he has written in his word, then you know that person is lying. You know that person's not, not true. He, he, they may be sincere, they may really feel like God told them that, but it was probably the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> or it was what I mean, it was their emotions or it was their desires. But the word of God, the logos has been written for our encouragement, for our instruction, so that the man of God might be built up for every good work. So this is this this word for us is eternal. It's timeless and it is all important. And it's important that we come to agreement with it. Uh, we believe in its authenticity. We believe in its in its in its in its absolute truth, but we also believe in its power. It has power over our life. As we begin to speak the word of God over our life, it has power to change the atmosphere of our lives. Like seriously, it's not just positive thinking. It's not just, uh, it's not just Oprah. It's not just a good thought. Like sometimes I think we feel like we have to learn something. When we read the word, it's like, oh, this is like a textbook, right? Like I'm in college, I need to learn something. No, 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 no. You need to believe something. So it doesn't always make sense to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void without form. Like, does that make sense? Where'd God come from? How old is he? Who are his relatives? Like, you know, who made him? Like, oh, you, all these questions the Bible doesn't even answer. Because it's, he's not, they're not asking you to learn something. They're asking you to believe something. And so scripture, God through scripture is beckoning us to believe in him and believe in his son, sometimes without a lot of evidence. Sometimes without, the only evidence is the word. Because the word says it, thus I believe it. That is the evidence. That is the point. 
and it has power over our lives. Uh, even just this week, I was encouraged to hear uh, one of our small group leaders was sharing with me a story. They're in their small group, and, and there, was, there was someone in the small group who was having some, some issues at home with, with their children. Anybody ever had that before? Okay. All right. A few, a few of us. All right. And anybody struggle with lying? Anybody ever struggle with lying before? Okay. All right. Anybody in denial? Okay. So there we go. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, no, they, they were struggling, and, 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 and so they asked us, their small group to pray. That's what small groups do. And so small group prayed over them, prayed over their children, and sure enough, soon as the small group is over, guess what? Another episode, right? Because that's the way life works. That's the way, that's the way the enemy attacks. That's the way life works. And instead of, like, yelling or dismissing or going into their room, closing the door or whatever, they decided to sit down and read the Bible uh, with their child. Um, we give, I don't know if it's the same Bible, but I know in the elementary class, every, every kid that uh, makes a decision for Jesus, we give them a free Bible. It's an action Bible, so it's like a comic book. Um, it doesn't have all the teaching that the regular Bible has, but it has all the stories and it has some of the teaching. And it's a good beginner uh, Bible to get kids interested in the Word of God. And it's got cool drawings and stuff like that. And so I don't know if that was the Bible, but anyway, they began reading the stories of the Bible. And, and as they're reading, peace starts coming into the home. And as they're reading, tears kind of dry up a little bit. And as they're reading, there's opportunity for repentance. And as they're reading, there's opportunity for forgiveness. I'm telling you, there's power in the Word of God. Why don't you try bringing the Word of God into your home? You got Netflix. We saw what that did. Why don't you try bringing the Word of God into your home? I'm not against Netflix, but it's not helping you much. Why don't you try bringing the Word of God into your... Why don't you try bringing it to your kids? And I don't mean that you have to like, be a Bible scholar or anything. Look, our people are not Bibles. Look around. We're not scholars. We didn't go to Bible college. I did. I'm like the only one. It's fine. Like The rest of you sinners, you guys are fine. Oh, you sinners. Like You don't have to understand it all to receive peace from it. You don't have to understand it all to submit to it. You don't have to understand it all to receive power, the power of God in your home to transform the atmosphere of your home. When you come into agreement with the word of God, you come into fellowship with God. And when you come into fellowship with God, your joy is made complete. So agreement with the word of God is the first secret to joy because the word of God speaks to every issue in your life. Every issue. Are you suffering from anxiety? Right? The scripture says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, actually. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? And it, it, like, so, so it, that's so difficult for us because when you're, when you're feeling anxious, the last thing you want to do is be thankful. Because anxiety, 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 there's a word in the middle of the word anxiety. It's a very short word, and it's the word I. Because at the center of anxiety is often selfishness. At the center of anxiety is what's going to happen to me? Do they like me? Are they going to accept me? Am I going to have enough to make it through the week? Am I going to get fired? Am, am I going to be happy? Am I going to be fulfilled? Am I ever, ever going to find somebody? Like at the middle of all of your anxious thoughts is this word I. And so God says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, in other words, bringing it to God, then bring thanksgiving to God. When you begin to thank, because there's no, look, there, there's no I in thankfulness. 
I checked. This is grammar. Grammar is just, there's like there's there's no I in that. As you begin to thank God for what He's done for you, the, the, your focus goes off of what you are lacking and what you might be missing. Instead, it starts looking at a God who is altogether good, who is altogether faithful, who is altogether holy, who is altogether aware of your needs and your situations, who supplies all of my needs according to His riches and glory. It takes my eyes off of me and puts my eyes on him it's interesting this this week uh and and i don't really know what to make of this i think it's biblical i'm not sure but it's something that just kind of has been happening to me twice this week um personally i like to pray in the spirit or pray in tongues in my personal prayer time we believe that that is a biblical thing we believe that it's taught in scripture you can see it throughout scripture and and it's something that we ought to practice and so i've so i I, I do that, but twice this week, what's weird, it's never happened to me before, is God will, as I'm praying in tongues, God will give me the interpretation yeah. afterward, like right away. Yeah, and so it's, it's, I've never had the interpretation. I've just always have kind of felt better just praying in the Spirit, or I've sensed an interpretation for somebody else, but I've never just had an interpretation for me right off the bat. And I think maybe it's because God just knows that I need edified. <laughs> I need edification. And uh, this week, there was a time when I was, I was feeling really uh, bad physically, like uh, the room spinning. Uh, I'm dealing with some EBV stuff. You can, I can talk to my wife about that if you want. Uh, and uh, man, you're just, I mean, you, like, every, like everything's just, you, you can't pray very well. And so at times, man, when you're sick, that's a great time to pray in the Spirit because you can't focus on anything really. So you just pray in the Spirit. So I just began praying in the Spirit. And then I started to get the interpretation for what I was praying. And it was interesting because what I was praying in the Spirit was all about the holiness of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, how great I was worshiping in the spirit. And that, that was, I thought that was weird because physically, my, my physical body wanted to pray, God, heal me, Lord, touch me, give me strength, let me, get a, let me do this, let me do that, I need to go here, I need to go there. Like, it's almost like I, it, physically, I wanted to pray about I, but my inner man wanted to pray about him. And so all I'm saying is that sometimes you have to shut up like your body a little bit and let your spirit cry out to him because your spirit is aware of how good he is. Your spirit is aware of how faithful he is. Your spirit is aware that it doesn't matter if you go to that event or that event or that event or if you do that or if you do that, that God is on the throne whether you're doing things or not. That God is the good shepherd whether the shepherd is laying in bed or not. That God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. I challenge you, give, sh shut your flesh up for 30 seconds, everyone. Don't let your body control your prayer life. Don't let your mind control your prayer life. Don't let your physical control your prayer life. Let it be part of it. Bring your request to him, but then just enter into thankfulness. Then just enter into worship. Then just in, enter into who he is. Let your spirit, because your spirit, if you've been born again, your spirit sees him and longs for him. That's a bit of a rabbit trail, but we agree with the word of God. And when he says, be anxious for nothing, we are anxious for nothing, not because our own strength and not because we shove our anxiety down, not because we repress it, but because we give it to him and we exchange it for thankfulness and gratefulness. And uh, this, the same is true for sickness. If you're dealing with sickness, scripture says that our God heals all of our diseases. We can always uh, name that and believe that, put our faith in that. We align ourselves with his word, uh, the stuff we like and the stuff we don't like. 
And so I would just encourage you just to begin to read the word of God more. Like literally begin to make it a part of your life. And so once again, I gave Sandy Myers a link and i like for her to put on Facebook right now. There's a link to an audio, it's a free um, audio Bible. Because uh, personally, uh, I like to listen to scripture while I'm driving, while I'm doing different things, hooks up to the Bluetooth in my car, my phone, and, and I just listen to it. And there's this awesome resource that I found years ago. Um, and, it's, and it's a guy reading uh, the Bible to you. If you listen to it every day, you'll listen to the entire Bible in a year. And so he's, there's some Old Testament, there's some Psalms, there's some Proverbs, there's some New Testament. And the guy has an amazing voice. I mean, I just have to say, those of you, I've shared it with people before. The guy just, ha- I mean... Like, that's what Jesus is going to sound like. I, I'm, sh- I'm certain. I'm just sure. I'm, I'm going to get to heaven, and I'm going to hear him say, well done, just like that. Well done, my good and faithful servant, but like that. Anyway, like, the guy's voice is amazing. Um, no, he's not British. That's an awful accent. That's terrible. And he's not even New Zealand, because that's a beautiful accent. He's not. He's... He's, he's American, but he's just got a killer voice. I don't know. Is that weird to say? I, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, I just, some people's voices annoy me. So anyway, I don't know. We could go down that road, but I mean, I don't know. It's like tone and stuff. It's just, it's just nails on chalkboard. This guy is amazing. It's like butter. It's like, it's like, it's like espresso in the morning. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like the sound of angels singing. It's really good. So go and listen to it and just make it a part of your daily life. If you, if you understand it all, fine. If you don't understand it all, welcome to the club, but make it a part of your life because before you can come into agreement with the word of God, you need to actually read the word of God. You need to actually listen to the word of God. You need to get it into your system, get it into your life. Uh, if you don't know where to start, start at Proverbs. Proverbs is a great one. Today's November 16th. You can go to Proverbs number 16, chapter 16. And just read the proverb for the day. Every day of the month, 31 Proverbs. It works out that way. And, and it's practical wisdom. It's good stuff. Anyway, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It helps bring direction for us. It guides us. It brings revelation. It brings wisdom as to how we should live. So we must come into alignment with his word must come into alignment with his word. And that's, and that's, that's, that's is important for what John is saying um, to us now, but it's also important for what he was saying to the people nearly 2,000 years ago. Because the truth is, there were conflicting um, words. So uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that John is writing um, to Christians in his day. He's the last living apostle, but he's writing against uh, a false doctrine called Gnosticism. Gnosticism... Uh, actually had two distinct uh, sects, I guess, to the, to the group, and they were, ironically, quite polar opposites. You had two um, break-offs from Gnosticism. The first sect believed that, um, uh, that we would uh, really be able to live any way that we wanted to, that God saved us, and when he saved us, he saved our um, spirit and not our body. And because our body was unsavable, it's so bad, it's permanently jacked up. And so he saved our spirit. So we are positionally righteous somewhere in the cosmos. There is a us that is righteous. But down here on earth, eh, not so much. And so the Gnostics taught that actually sin was a part of God's plan for us. 
And so they had their own gospels called the Gnostic Gospels. You might have heard of these. These were rejected by the, by the Council of Nicaea. These were rejected by the early church. One of the reasons is because of John's emphatic uh, uh, statement that, look, you have to, if you are believing other gospels, See, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all in agreement about who Jesus is, what he did, why he came. Is They're different authors, but they're all in agreement. But the Gnostic Gospels introduced this new idea that sin was actually part of the story. So, for instance, there is the Gospel of Judas. Uh, they've, they've found fragments of the Gospel of Judas, what, they, what they're calling the Gospel of Judas. And it's, it, 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 it was a Gnostic Gospel. And from what they can tell as they're piecing it together, um, it plays out a similar story to what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell, only it paints Judas as the hero. Because Judas and Jesus were connected. They were in on this thing, right? Because like even in our Gospels, Jesus said what you must do, do quickly on the night he was betrayed. And so they said, well, that's because Jesus and Judas were in on this deal that Judas's sin was going to lead to the redemption of all mankind. And that's what they believe. They believe that the more we sin, the more we just uh, uh, engross ourselves in our own desires, that God is glorified because he uses it which Paul talked against this. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. Well, that, that's because that was a teaching back in the day and it was creeping into the church. And you can see the, you can, you can see the attraction, right? It's like, hey, come on, come. You can have fellowship with God, do whatever you want, and you just keep your fellowship with God. Like you get a free ticket to heaven. And so John is saying, look, if you believe these other gospels, you cannot come into alignment with us. And the truth is, nowadays, I don't think there are Gnostic Gospels that people in City Chapel are reading. Um, I'm not that concerned about you guys getting into, you know, the Krishna uh, holy books or uh, the Quran or different things. Like, to me, that, that's not a big issue, I don't think, here in, I guess, maybe in Austin it is, but most of you all are from South Austin. So, anyway, it's not that big of a deal. It's, I'm not really that concerned. But what I am concerned about is really, I mean, Satanism, actually. <laughs> Technically, Satanism is creeping into the church. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, well, those memes on Facebook, they sound very much like Aleister Crowley's writings. Uh, and in other words, they'll take the words of Jesus and call it evil. The very things that Jesus said, they'll say, that's toxic. That's unhealthy. Uh, if you say these things, at literal scripture, you are a bigot. It's just literal scripture. They hate the word of God. And that's, that's, that's the, I think, the most clear form of Satanism. And, 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 I, and I see that like through New Age, and I see that through, like it's just, just a, a zeitgeist of our day where we don't have a particular set religion with particular books. Rather, we have more of a all religion is just kind of a big question mark. Christianity is just this long conversation that's been going on for thousands of years. Nobody really knows anything. And, and instead, here are our truths, and they sound very much like do what thou wilt. They sound very much like Alistair Collar's writings. And so it, to me, it's, it's just unveiled Satanism that is creeping into the church. And so I would challenge you and warn you that the secret to happiness is rejecting anything that does not line up with the word of God. Any thought, any value, any cultural value, 
I don't care what you call it or how compassionate you make it sound, any cultural value that does not line up with the word of God, including, and I'll just, you know, because I, I know right now I'm talking to some people who are like, yeah, liberalism, that's Satanism. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going left and right here. I'm not. I got a I got a text message this week actually telling me what to preach, um, and it was and it was interesting. Yeah. Well, he did say he would he would be waiting expectantly for my sermon, so I guess he's watching online right now. So uh, the, the the request was that I that I preach that the that the election was rigged, and that we have been lied to as an American people. That I need to preach that quote right after the gospel of salvation. <laughs> Because they fit in so well, so um, that was the request, and my my only response to that, uh, and I, I imagine there are various people in our church who would like for me to talk on that. My only response to that is that I will address uh, corruption within our government as much as and to the extent that Jesus addressed corruption in his government. And and if you don't like that, then I'll address it as much as Paul addressed it. Uh, as much as he addressed corruption, like Romans 13, uh, that all men should be submitted to the governing authorities over them, for all governing authorities are ordained by God. Well, that's not true. I'm an American. I vote who I want in. Okay. But the election's rigged, so I guess maybe you don't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just wondering. Uh, no, all authorities... All authorities are ordained by God. Caesar? No, he was elected by the... No, no. All authorities are ordained by God. You do not... Now, now, if you don't want to believe that, if you want to reject Scripture, if you want to take Romans 13 and cut it out of your Bible, be my guest, but you will not lead to joy. It'll lead to maybe Fox talking points. I don't know who's talking to you, but, it'll, it, but it will not lead to joy. And you will be caught up in a never-ending cycle of anxiety and anxiousness and wondering and fear. Because you are believing, you're aligning yourself with a message, whether it's conservative or liberal, you're aligning yourself with a message that is against the Word of God. And so that's why I have no idea what's going on with the election. I, I wasn't there. Like, I voted. That's all I know. Like, I did my job. You all. I don't know what you all did. But, uh, but seriously, we have institutions. We have a government, a government to deal with this. And, 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 and I'll let them do, deal with that. My job is to preach the word of God. It, it, so if, if you think my job is to, is to preach cultural uh, preferences and political opinions then you've misunderstood the role of the pulpit. You've misunderstood the role of a pastor, a shepherd within a church. You've also misunderstood your role as a sheep. So, like, God tells me what to preach. You don't. Because that's, that's not your role. You go, and you, and you come along. Like, that's what you do. You come along. <laughs> you, and you come along. That scripture calls his church sheep. And so that's what we do. We, 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 we follow good, healthy leadership. Leadership that's following God, we follow it. That's what Paul said. Follow me as I follow Christ. If you don't like being called sheep, take it up with the book. Because I am also a sheep. I am also under authority. I am also saying to him and following him. And at any given moment, he can lead me and direct me in any way that he wants. 
And so, and so all of us must come under the word of God, not some cultural idea or, or, or wherever you're getting. And the problem is we immerse ourselves in CNN. We immerse ourselves in these, these news cycles, and then we lose our peace. We lose our joy. If, I guarantee if you immerse yourself in the word of God, your peace and your joy will come right back to you. It'll come right back. So, so my first step is that you come into agreement with the word of God. And if you want to text me any ideas of what to preach, don't, don't do it. <laughs> it will not go well for you. I will, I, I will mention it, and, and, and I'll address it. But, but secondly, there, there, there has to be some adjustment. So there's agreement, and then there's adjustment. So I, I was just, just kind of setting the stage for what actually John is about to do. He's, he's bringing adjustment, all right? Uh, uh, if, if we go on in the scripture from of verse, uh, we were, let's see, we ended verse 4. Let's go to verse 5. This is the message, he says, which we have heard. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. Notice God's message is not about us, it's about himself. <laughs> and what he reveals about himself is so beautiful. He says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What is light? Well, in, in scripture, the light is generally two things. It is uh, revelation or knowledge. Um, that, uh, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path, or it is holiness or moral purity. Now, God does not have these things. God is these things. God is holiness. God is revelation. God is knowledge. God is moral purity. And he says he is so much so that there is no darkness in him. And then in English, it says at all. That it's trying to describe in the original language. It's literally there is no, no darkness in him. So it's, the, the writer is, is overemphasizing. Like he could have just said God is light and left it there. But then he said there, God is light and there's no darkness in him. But then he, he, he overemphasized. There's absolutely zero amount of darkness in him. What is he doing? He's talking to the Gnostic gospel that says Jesus sometimes colludes with sin in order to get his will done. God doesn't do that, all right? So there is, there is no, 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 no darkness in him at all. And, and this revelation of Jesus is, is, is amazing to me because throughout Scripture, this is who God is. That his holiness, we worship him in the beauty of his holiness, and his holiness is shining out from him almost like a light. No wonder when John saw him in the book of Revelation, his face was like the sun and he fell down as a dead man to worship him because of this bright, shining, shimmering glory. And, and in many of those near-death experiences that we learned about back in April, what is the one common thing about all the, like it was this massive light. They, one, they were going toward the light and two, as they came into the light, the light created everything and it was incredibly bright, but it wasn't painful to look at. It was just this warm light that enveloped you and sustained you and fed you. And, and it, it, was, it was more than like just light. And that's who God, God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Here on our planet, the brightest thing that I can think of is the sun. That's the absolute bright. If you, if you look at the sun for more than, what is it, two minutes, you start burning your retina. Uh, your retina is like in your eyes. You, you will go blind. It is so blazingly bright. And the heat of that, I mean, like in the summer, you can make cookies 
in your dashboard, in your car, in your dash. Uh, here in Texas, anyway, not in Michigan. But in Texas, man, you can cook cookies in your car. Like, it's, it's hot. And, the, and we're not even at the equator. So you go down a, a, little, a, a couple steps down there on the map, and it gets really hot. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so uh, the sun is amazing. The sun is like, what is it, 96 million miles away from us. And, and it's that powerful at 96 million miles away. Uh, NASA will get as close as 6 million miles away from the surface of the sun. They, they estimate that once you get closer than 6 million miles, you burn up. Just everything burns up. We don't have a material that won't burn up at closer than 6 million miles away from the surface of the sun. The thing is hot. It's a giant ball of gas and flames that is just astronomical. Like, astronomical. It is astronomically huge uh, in a literal and a figurative sense. And yet there are, on the sun, there are sun spots. Giant holes of darkness, absolute darkness. These range from 10,000 miles in diameter to 100,000 miles. Diameter, it's from one side of the hole to the other. Just to put that in perspective, the Earth is about 8,000 miles in diameter. Like, like if you look at the Earth and you measure from one side of the globe to the other, that, I'm not good at math, but that's like 12 Earths side by side could insert into one of these holes like but the sun you wouldn't know that there were these giant black holes in the thing because it's so bright it still burns your retinas it still consumes things that get close you know six million miles away like it still consumes things but yet it is it has these massive holes of darkness and john says look if you think the sun is powerful like jesus christ is light god is light and there's not a single sunspot in him there's not a single bit of darkness it is absolute pure holiness absolute pure glory absolute pure goodness absolute pure love absolute pure peace absolute pure joy flowing out from him without any darkness, without any uh, uh, falsehood. So he is absolute truth without any lies. He is absolute holy without any sin. And that's, that's who he is. And he, based on that, he said, this is the message that we heard, that God is this blazing light. By the way, the word light is used 68 times in the New Testament to translate light. And twice it's used in the New Testament to translate fire. So I, sometimes we, we get used to reading things in certain ways, and, it, and, it, and, it's, and it's not accurate with Scripture. So he's literally, he's talking about light, and he's also talking about fire. In him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Uh, what I'd like to do is just read that again with the knowledge that this light can also mean fire as the sun. <laughs> God is fire, and in him is, is no darkness. So that would that'd probably be another good sermon title, actually. God is fire. Like, uh, he's, he's lit. He is... He's, he's, he's fire. Uh, but anyway, uh, but in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the fire, 
as he is in the fire. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, burns up all sin from us. The idea here is the secret to joy is adjustment. So we had agreement, now we have adjustment. What does that mean? It means that some of us are walking, claiming, he says in verse six, claiming to have fellowship with him and yet walking in darkness. So next week I'm gonna talk about what it means to walk in because the word is actually pre, uh, pre-pop, Tamo men. Uh, and it's, uh, it's to walk around. And so it's not simply to walk in a straight line. So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll get into that next week because the same word for walking in light is the same word he uses for walking in darkness. All right. So the key though is right now is adjustment. He starts and he, he makes this pretty severe adjustment. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, he's talking, he's addressing the Gnostic claim. You can have fellowship with him yet live in sin. And while that was a Gnostic thing, that's also a Texas 2020 thing. (laughs) If we claim to have fellowship with him, but walk in sin in our lives, we are lying and we are not living out the truth. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that after you're saved, you'll never make another mistake? No, that's not what that means. And that's why I'm going to get into it next week. But what it does mean is that you and I need to make some serious adjustments to our life. Uh, I preached on First John uh, years ago, a, a while back, and um, I, I preached on it from the metaphor of uh, going to the chiropractor because I had just experienced the joys of going to a chiropractor. And for me, that was pretty cool. I'd never been to a chiropractor before, and there was a chiropractor in our church. And this guy, he lived in Kyle. He selfishly moved to Dallas and left our church. Um, but anyway, we still, we still love him. Uh, sort of, and uh, but he was uh, no, no. Him and his family were awesome. They were, uh, and they, 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 they were here. He biked all uh, everywhere. He was, uh, he was on his, his like, like, a, like one of the bikers with the helmets, and you know that are in your way in traffic. Like one of those guys, and he would, he would go everywhere. I mean, it was like fifty miles in a day. It was insane. But anyway, I was talking to him one time before church. We were meeting in the theater at that time at South Park Meadows, and I was telling him that I was having these headaches, pretty consistent headaches, uh, like a couple of headaches a week, and I. I figured it's just because I had planted a church because, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty stressful. There's a lot of nonsense I have to deal with. Um, anyway, there's a lot of things going on. And so I said, well, I think I just need to, you know, I, th- I need to go for long walks. I need to exercise and eat healthy and, you know, whatever. And he's like, no, you might just need to come see me. I said, really? And I said, yeah. So I said, okay. So I went and visited him in his office in Kyle. I laid down. He, feel, he feels around my neck and my spine and stuff. And he recognizes there's two parts of my neck that's out of alignment. And then there's two parts of my spine that are out of alignment as well. And so he, he says, oh, yeah, there's two spots right here. So he lays me on, the, on the, the table, you know, grabs my head and just pop, you know, and then pop. And he just pops my neck into place. And, I mean, immediately I just I don't know, felt great, obviously. Um, but the really cool thing was I didn't have a headache that week. I said, I'm coming back. So I went back and he's like, yeah, okay, pop, pop. And literally I had one headache over the next two years that I was going to him, um, the the entire time, one headache. And I think that was because I didn't have enough sleep and I was eating junk food, you know? And so, uh, anyway, it was really interesting though, because I was fascinated by it. I'm like, well, how in the world is a couple of little pops on my neck? Cause I, I usually crack my neck myself and just gets a little stiff, but when he does it, it's really powerful. And, and it, it cleared up my headache. I said, what, well, what did you do? What's going on with this? And so he explained 
that the head is, the, is in control of everything in your body. Everything in your body is connected to your head. If it's not connected to your head, it doesn't live. And Christ is the head of the church, right? And so that's, that's kind of where I go. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. If we're not connected to Christ, we start dying the minute we disconnect from Christ. But the entire body is connected to the head through the spine. The spine is the information highway, to quote him, of the body. In other words, every nerve ending in your body, everything in your body goes back to your spine. And then it goes up your spine to your brain, and then your brain tells what's going on. That's why if you have a massive spinal cord injury, you have paralysis from that point downward because there is no more messages from those areas in your body, whatever they may be, that are getting to your spine. And I started to realize, man, if we're the body of Christ, if Christ is the head and the spine is the information highway, I think the spine is like the Holy Spirit. It is the thing which provides structure to the body. If you take your spine out, you're a, you're a puddle. <laughs> like you, you, the spine provides, you don't see it, but it provides structure. It's hidden. It's secret. It's, 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 it's not always visible. It's like the wind. You don't see it, but, but it is there. And what happens is uh, our spine is affected, though, by everything in our body. And so my muscles were pulling against my neck and pulling it out of alignment. And as my spine came out of alignment, then I, became, I began having headaches. And this is what's true for, for us as Christians. When we are out of alignment, when, we, when the Holy Spirit, when we silence the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life, when, when we allow pressures and other things to pull and to, and to, and to push and to, and to strain the relationship we have with the Holy Spirit, the friendship we have with the Holy Spirit, suddenly our spine comes out of alignment. And then messages cannot be sent to the head or received from the head. So the head, so God created your body to heal itself. So if there's an issue in your body, the head is supposed to send the necessary things to deal with that issue, whether it's in your liver or your pancreas or whatever. But if there's an issue with your spine, then your, the messages from your brain can't get to that part and bring healing. And so, man, the day that I went to, what's his name? His name's Scott? Greg. Yes, Greg. The day I went to Greg, man, and he pop, pop. It was like, you know, it was like coming to Jesus, like, you know, like, like that old hymn, I remember when my burdens rolled away. I don't know if you guys remember that. I carried them for years, night and day. Then I sought the blessed Lord and I took him at his word all at once. All my burdens rolled away. That's what it was like. It was like I had, these, I had this headache going into the office. I lay down. He goes, pop, pop. And suddenly I don't have headaches anymore. I'm like, this is amazing. This is wonderful. But what happened was over time I had to keep going back. And so many of us have experienced the the pop-pop of, <laughs> of salvation. We've been far from God, and we've come to him, and he went pop-pop, and we're like, oh, yeah. Oh, this feels good. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And, and, and you know, and some of us actually got our heads going back and forth a little bit. But, it, like, it was, it was you know, and, 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 and immediately, and I'm not taking away from that. You, you, like, that's a wonderful thing. If you've been living with headaches for a couple of years, and all of a sudden you don't have headaches anymore, Man, salvation is a beautiful thing. But what happens was I had to keep going back to him. And so many times, like, we have to keep going back to church in order to kind of get another adjustment, another alignment. 
And, and I think to some extent, it's helpful to always have some adjustments and alignments. But if you are still having headaches, then you have an issue. And so the third week, I had another headache, and I was talking to him about it. And he said, well, that's because your posture is bad. <laughs> so here's, he's like, I can just do a whole sermon just on the chiropractic lesson. Because the truth is, like, the Holy Spirit can pop, pop you back into place. But if your weekly posture is bad, you know what I mean? Like... It was what I mean. Well, for me, it's the way, because he's like, well, you sit at a desk all day, right? And I said, yeah, I sit at a desk all day. He's like, well, how do you sit? And I'm like, well, I usually recline the chair back. I got my laptop like this. He's like, so you're like looking down all day. I said, yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's, it's comfortable. He's like, well, it's comfortable, but it's not good for you. There are some habits we have developed that are comforting to us, but they are not good for us. There's some habits we've developed that are comforting. Sometimes, the, like, and it's hard to change because he's like, well, you need to sit up when you're sitting at your desk. I'm like, I feel like I'm standing at attention. Like, I don't feel like I'm resting. He says, no, it doesn't feel like rest, but it actually is for your muscles. What happens is what you think is rest is not actually restful. Man, that'll preach. What, 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 what you do with your free time in your downtime and the stuff you consume in your downtime is not actually restful. It's stirring you up. It's getting you anxious. It's getting you fired up about this guy or the election or whatever the heck else. It's not restful. And it's not, it's not always sin. I'm not saying that you're always looking at pornography or something. But, it's, but it can be habits that we get into, ways of interacting with each other, ways, of, even, even our diet, okay? If you eat a bunch of junk food all day, you're going to feel crummy. And if you feel crummy and your wife starts complaining to you about, <laughs> anyway, things aren't going to go so well. And you're setting yourself up, you're conditioning yourself to become out, to get out of alignment with the word of God. And so the adjustment here is I think the Holy Spirit wants to grab some necks and just kind of go, okay, I'm popping it. I'm getting you back to alignment, but now would you change some of your posture, the way that you sit at your computer in, in a physical sense, or maybe the way you sit in your house. The first thing you do, husbands, when you come home, is it sitting on the couch and watching TV? Because that's not a good posture. You say, well, it feels good. Well, it may feel good, but it's not helpful to your wife and to your children. It's not building up your children. It's not building them up. It's not teaching them about what a husband ought to do and how a husband ought to serve. And it's not serving your spouse. Wives, is, like, is your first thing whenever your husband is sitting at the couch, is it to start complaining about him sitting on the couch? That's not helpful. No husband has ever got off the couch because his wife complained to him about being on the couch. Are you building him up? Are you speaking hope to him? Are you telling him that you believe he is better than he believes he is? I'm telling you that sometimes our posture throughout the week, and it's not necessarily sin. Some of the stuff isn't, it's not in the Bible, thou shalt not sit on the couch and watch TV. Like, that's not there. But, but seriously, some of our posture, some of the things we eat, the entertainment we consume, the way we spend our rest time, our downtime, the, 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 the amount of time we spend with our spouse or the lack of time we spend with our spouse, the amount of time we spend pouring into our kids, the, sometimes the habits we get into with our kids, it actually, like, it's relaxing for us to send them out of the room for that moment. And we get into the habit of, well, I want rest, so my kids need to get out. The problem is, if you really want rest, like real rest, 
You'll spend time with your kids so that they will give you rest. So that they'll be restful. If you constantly send them out of the room and they're constantly banging on your door, there's no rest there. Because you're not dealing with the issue of unrest. You're doing something that's comfortable in the moment, but really you're getting the opposite result of what you want. And so for me, with my neck, I was doing something that felt good in the moment, but I, it was producing the opposite result of what I wanted. It was making my neck more stressed. And so sometimes your brain will tell you something is actually restful. But your spirit, you need to listen to your spirit. What, is this putting rest? Is this putting rest in your spirit? Does that, does that program create rest in your spirit? Does that friendship create rest in your spirit? Like, here's the thing, like, we, we, don't, we don't just jump off of cliffs. We, we slide toward things. We slide toward unalignment. Our, 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 our next beat don't come out of a line all at once. There was really, there was three things, and I don't have time. So I'm going to follow this up next week, and I'll, and I'll give you a clue what we're going to talk about next week, the next two things about my chiropractor appointment. Uh, first off, <laughs> there was posture that I needed to change. All right, so this is more adjustment. Secondly, there was trauma that I needed to address. Because my neck wasn't, but my back, my mid-back was because of trauma. And it's amazing how trauma will stay with you. And some of the stuff you're going through right now, it's not even your fault. It's because of unaddressed trauma, unhealed trauma. So it's not, it's not, it's like these attitudes and things coming out of you, sometimes it's not even because you're an evil person. It's because you haven't dealt with, you haven't allowed God to bring healing to you. So anyway, the, the unaddressed trauma. And then there were, then two, there was genetics. So my sister has a bad back. My dad had a bad back. I'm telling you, there's some generational stuff, which we talked about in Kairos yesterday. There's some generational stuff that, that set me up to have a bad back. So I blame them. Uh, no, just kidding, mom and dad. Uh, no, but if you don't deal with that, if you don't recognize that, you are not going to walk in the light. So I don't want you to feel like, okay, well, if I, if I do anything wrong, then, I, then I'm no longer in fellowship with him. Okay, no, no. What he says is if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with him. So coming into proximity to Jesus is what produces the capability for us to walk in the light, not the other way around. We don't learn how to do everything right, and then he'll let us come into his presence. No, if we walk in, the, if we step into the light as dirty as we are, as messed up as we are, as, as unsure as we are, if we step into that place, and through repentance and through, which, which I'm going to talk about maybe in two weeks, I don't know, <laughs> through the process, the process of walking around the light, the, through the process, it's a purification process, and there is a cleansing in the blood of Jesus, his son. This is the promise of the word of God. This is not my words. This is the promise of the word of God, the blood of Jesus. In fact, in fact, if you're watching at home or wherever you're here in the room, why don't you just say this out loud with me? Why don't you confess the word of God right now? The blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus cleanses, me cleanses me from all sin. From all sin. The, blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, how about this, is more powerful, more powerful. than all trauma. The blood of Jesus is greater than all posture. He has, look, he has the grace for you to change your posture. 
available. He doesn't ask you to do it by yourself. He gives you the power to do it. That's the blood of Jesus. He has the power to, to, to break generational ties. That's the blood of Jesus. You don't have to do it yourself. And finally, he has the power to, to, to enable us to be cleansed from all sin. You don't cleanse yourself. He cleanses us. So Jesus, we come to you right now, and we just agree with your word. We come into alignment with your word that the blood of Jesus is enough. That the blood of Jesus is enough. And we choose today. I, I would challenge you, just, just even right now, just close your eyes and ask God, Lord, what posture in my life is keeping me from alignment with you? What posture is bringing me out of alignment? What posture in my life? What habit? What uh, attitude maybe? What belief system? What ideology? What rigged election? <laughs> what is what is what is pulling and pushing at the alignment I have with peace, with joy, with pure holiness, with you? Lord, reveal it to us, your spirit. And if you start, and if you start hearing something in your mind that condemns you, that makes you feel that you aren't enough, that you'll never make it, that's not God. So just reject that, throw that out. But if there's light that starts shining into your life, if there's love that starts pouring into your heart, if a gentle father gently reminds you and says, hey, this, the way you've been sitting at this desk or the way you've been dealing with that, sometimes it's the way, for me, the way I sleep, I had to get, don't sleep like this, sleep like this. Like you have to change some things. Maybe what you're doing before you go to sleep, maybe what you're doing when you first wake up, I don't know. But it's, it, it, it's, it's, your, it's your patterns, it's your life. So Lord, I pray that you would reveal it to us and then give us the power to walk out of here today and make an adjustment. We thank you for the adjustment that you've made inside of us. But Lord, may we adjust our posture to align with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.